One of the main questions that Jesus addresses throughout this sermon that he gives in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, um, he doesn't ask the question straight up, where is my heart? But all the different things that he brings up and addresses uh, come back to this place where we can ask of ourselves, where, where is the position of my heart? Is it on myself? Is it on something in the world? Is it focused on God? Where is my heart? Jesus' audience was there, not because they said, hey, Jesus is teaching a sermon, and he's going to talk about how we live our life um, you know, as someone who's following and chasing after God. That, that, you know, that wasn't why they were there. They were there because Jesus was there. They wanted to hear from him. They wanted to learn about him. They heard about some of the things that he'd been doing and some of the things that he was saying, and they were interested in him. And, and when they listened, they got to see the heart of God through Jesus, God's son. And then in hearing that, yes, it leads to them knowing how do we go and live a life that, that follows after God. But the initial heart in what they were doing was seeking the heart of God. A question we can ask ourselves here this morning is, do I desire the things of God? Am I pursuing a heart after God? Or am I chasing after temporary things in this world that, that won't satisfy? Maybe for a brief time they will, but eventually uh, I'll be left wanting more. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, hey, you know what, Steve, I'm, I'm not even a follower of Christ yet. I'm not really interested in God. I just kind of, I'm here with a guest or whatnot. Um, th there's still uh, a lot for you to learn here this morning as well. Maybe a question you have is a simple question of what is God like? Can you, can you tell me about this God that you worship and this God that you believe saves? And so as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, as we study it together, you get to see the very heart of God. And so for those who have trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we read through this Sermon on the Mount, we can say, okay, where is my heart fall in line with where Jesus is calling it to be? And if you're still investigating who God is, you'll get to see his heart through this sermon. Now imagine coming home to an amazing gift left by a loved one. You can fill in the blanks, whether it be a spouse or a family member, or a sibling or a friend or a roommate, whoever they are. And whether it's a gift of something they bought for you or they did a, a service for you, they, they, they cleaned the house for you, or a chore, um, or, or they're taking you out uh, to, to your favorite restaurant. You, you fill in the blanks. Imagine that's what you come home to tonight. How would you feel about that? Uh, you'd probably be ecstatic, and you'd thank them, thank you so much. And imagine in your thanks, they re reply with something like, yeah, we know, it's just what I'm supposed to do, right? How would you feel? What, what, would that matter? I think for all of us, it would. Why? Because the heart matters. The heart behind why they do things matters. Imagine receiving a great compliment from someone that you look up to. Maybe that there's a skill that they have that you want to have as well, and you've been working hard at it, you've been training, and then you, they have a chance to see what you do. Maybe it's in a sport, and they got to see your game, and you, you did a good job, or it was in a, a, a musical talent, and they got to see you perform, and they give you this great compliment. And you say, thank you, thank you, that means so much to me. And they just say, you know, well, that's what you're supposed to say after something like this, right? Does that affect what they just said? Does that affect how you feel? Well, of course, because the heart behind it matters. Imagine you get into a fight with a family member, and you're duking it out, and all of a sudden the matriarch of your family, whether it be mom or grandma or great-grandma, whoever that is, comes over and says, you will apologize to your brother whether you like it or not. And you get the, well, grandma says, so I'm sorry. I mean, does that, does that change the apology? It does, because the heart matters. See, in Proverbs 4.23, it 
It says this, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Maybe you might be familiar with this translation. It talks about guard your heart, for it is a source of life. It is the wellspring of life, because the heart matters. Our life pours out of our heart. But like a puppy, a toddler, and a shopping cart on a windy day, a heart has something major in common with those three. It wanders. A heart wanders. And because it wanders, the pursuit of the heart will not always line up with the desires of the heart. Think about that for a minute. Have you seen that in your own life? Have you seen that in someone else's life? Where the pursuit of your heart may not line up with the desires of your heart. Where you find yourself pouring your life into, chasing after something, and all of a sudden you say, well, this isn't really what I want. My, my heart's looking for something more. Or, or maybe you think you're going after what your heart wants, and all of a sudden you find, well, th this isn't going to satisfy my heart. Th this, is, this is temporary. This, this is going to come to an end. Because our heart wanders, the heart's pursuit will not always align with the heart's desire. Our heart can be tempted by shiny things. Maybe you desire love, but you're chasing after attention or a physical relationship instead of investing in, in, in something that will produce love. Maybe you desire success, but instead of really pursuing that, you're chasing after trophies. You can put it on a shelf at the expense of the real treasures in your life. We see this, a great example of this would be in marketplace success where you're putting in the overtime, putting in the extra time and the hours, uh, and all of a sudden, come to the end of your days, like, hey, look at all that I have accomplished, and yet you don't know your family. At least you don't know them like you wish you did because you, you, you've sacrificed the treasure of your family for the trophy of, of business success. We see this heart wandering when it comes to recognition. We like to be liked. We want people to recognize us and honor us, especially in this day and age of YouTube where a like can mean so much for some people. We're willing to do things we wouldn't normally do for the sake of that like, for the sake of that recognition. Because the heart matters, the question we need to ask that is, how do we ensure that the heart's pursuit is in line with the heart's desire? How do we make sure that what we're doing lines up with what we want to do. You, you think it's easy. You think it would just flow naturally. But again, the heart wanders. Let's return to that example I gave of a loved one who gives you a gift. And you know, initially it seemed like they just gave it out of obligation. Well, that's what I'm supposed to do, right? Let's tweak that a little bit. Well, what if they were to say, you know what? I, I didn't want to do this, whatever it is. Say they bought you a gift. I didn't want to buy this for you, but I wanted to get it for you. Do you get the difference in there? Is that, I, I, maybe I didn't want to spend the money, but I know it matters to you, so I did it for you. Or I, I didn't want to do this chore, but I knew it would matter to you, and so I did it for you. All of a sudden, we begin to see the heart a little more, and it's something that wasn't done out of obligation, but something that was done out of love. Doesn't that, that change it a little bit? So I, I think what this reveals a little bit is we tend to think like this. We tend to think the heart's reactions, the desires of our heart, the heart's reactions will lead to our life's action. Our heart's reaction will lead to our life's actions. Hey, I love you, and so even though I don't like doing whatever this or that is, or I don't want to you know, put time in, but for you, I want to do it. And so our, our life is going to pour out of the reactions of our heart. Hey, you see someone that you're interested in, and all of a sudden, you're doing things that you never thought you would normally do. Uh, I shared this before in, in previous sermons, but when I was first interested in, in my, uh, my wife, 
uh, when I was first pursuing her, we were on a college campus together. Um, man, I, I, I kind of dabbled in rollerblading. That was, you know, that, that, that season, that, what, two years where rollerblading was kind of cool. Um, I would go places on campus simply because I thought she might be there. It's not stalking, it's just opportunistic. She was in the sciences and, and biology classes, that kind of stuff, and so I would, I would roller skate, a uh, roller blade, through the biology wing. I mean, like, right down the hallway, like, oh, fancy meeting you here. And it worked a few times. And I'm married today for 13 years, so I guess it really worked. Um, but I would do things differently because of the desire of my heart. My heart's reaction led to my life's actions. I see, we see that in a couple different areas. Maybe you want to be the best, fill in the blank. There's a skill or ability or passion you have, and you want to be the best. And that's your heart's reaction to the what you, you see something for the first time. You play an instrument. You, you, you do an art of some sort. You, you play a sport you never played before, and you're hooked. And you're hooked. And then all of a sudden, your life pours out of the reaction of your heart. But again, we've seen the heart wanders and get off course. So again, we come back to this question. How do we ensure that the pursuit of our heart is in line with the desires of our heart? Well, then God says it a different way. We're going to see as we look in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19 here, that God says our life's actions will lead to the heart's reaction. He flips it the other way. In essence, saying the things that we do will dictate what we're passionate about. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Um, you can open there now if you want, but I'm just going to give you a quick preview here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says this. These are the words of Jesus. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wouldn't you have expected that to be the other way around? Well, I'm going to put my treasure in what I'm passionate about, right? My, my treasure is going to be where my heart is. Well, he's putting it the other way around. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Three questions I want us to ask today that explore this a little bit as we seek to engage the heart of God, as we seek to align our hearts with the heart of God. If we're going to believe Jesus and what he says, basically, if you're sitting here this morning saying, I want to be more passionate about the things of God, Jesus' response would be, put your treasure in the things of God. Well, I'm not sure if I feel that yet. I'm not sure if my heart's behind that yet. If you want to be about the things of God, put your treasure behind the things of God. If there's something in your life that you want to be excited about that you're not excited about right now, put a bunch of money to it. Serious. If there's a cause you want to be uh, excited about but you're not right now, give a donation that's a sacrifice. All of a sudden, you're going to care a whole lot about what happens in that ministry or in that organization. So, so three questions I want us to ask here as we look at our treasure in relation to aligning our heart with God's so that we can make sure that the pursuit of our heart is in line with the desires of our heart. First one is this, where is my money? Second one is, where is my attention? And third one is, where is my time? Where is my money? Where is my attention? Where is my time? These are the three things that we're going to see, we're going to unpack here this morning under this title of treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you have a hard time remembering these, I kind of put them together in those little, uh, not alliteration, but uh, the other thing. Uh, where is my mat? Money, attention, time. Where is my mat? Um, you kind of think the whole thing, where I am, there I'll be. You know, it, there's different things, whether it be going to the beach or, or doing yoga or something like that, or maybe if you go to a ball game and you bring one of those little pads or you bring your seat. Where you put your seat, where you put your mat, where you, you lay that out, that's where you'll be. 
So where you lay your mat out on the beach to go, that's where you're going to be. You're saying, this is my spot. So where you put your money, your attention, and your time, that's where you're going to be. That's where your heart is going to be. Those are the questions we're going to look at here this morning. Last week we were in Matthew chapter 6. Um, we looked at the verse 1 begins like, like this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. We looked last week about this. Uh, are we living for an audience of one? Are we living to honor God and glorify him? Or are we living for the reward of, of being seen by others? And if you remember, yeah, Jesus gives three examples. He says, when you do three things. And it's not a heart of if you, but when you. So he's expecting those who are following after him to do these things. Is when you give, when you pray, when you fast. And he explains, well, here's how to do it in a way that does it for the glory of God, not for the recognition of others. If you're doing it for the recognition of others, that's all your reward right there. But if you're doing it for the glory of God, there is a greater reward. doesn't go into details of what that is. But a God who is the creator of all that we see, man, that's someone who I'm sure can give pretty amazing gifts. We look at the gifts that he's already given us in salvation through Jesus. And man, those are the gifts that I would want more of. So he walks through that and then he continues here in verse 19 is where we're going to pick up. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now if you go back to the original text, the words that translate here as lay up um, or, or store up in other translations um, and then the word that turns out as treasure, they have the same root. So in essence, one way we could understand this first line here in verse 19 is, do not treasure for yourselves, do not store up, do not treasure for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't, don't hoard all that God's given here on this earth. It doesn't say don't own. It doesn't say don't possess. It doesn't say don't have. This isn't saying that we have to get rid of everything we have. We can't have it's not the heart of what Jesus is saying. He's saying don't treasure the treasures of this world. And he covers all different common areas of wealth for his audience. Those who'd be hearing this for the first time, they would have three main areas where they could kind of see their wealth. One would be clothes. We, we kind of have this today, but not so much. I mean, sure, you can buy the, the designer things and, you know, the, the pricey things. But uh, in many ways, trends are changing so, so fast. Uh, de designers are putting out new things so fast that uh, we've almost stepped into this culture where we're closed as, you know, as temporary, as throwaway, until we get the, you know, next season's new trend and whatnot. And, but to Jesus' audience, they would have seen clothes as greater wealth. They didn't have the, the ease of, of manufacturing that we do today. And so depending on what clothes you have would be a sign of, of wealth, but yet those clothes can be simply eaten by moths. You could have something one day and the next it be destroyed. It says where moth and rust destroy, the other goods that they would have, the other form of wealth that they would have, things like grain and things they could trade. And again, the word here that translates into rust really has this context of, of eaten up. If you ever had something destroyed by rust, you, you've seen that firsthand. One of the uh, best car purchases I've ever made in my life uh, was uh, a next-door neighbor of ours when I was first learning how to drive. Had a 1980-something Honda Civic hatchback. 
I, I mean, the thing got like 60 miles to the gallon when I was going, you know, uphill against the wind with rice in the gas tank. I mean, it didn't matter what you did to this thing. Um, you could not stop it. And it had just, I mean, better gas mods than most motorcycles. I love this little car. Bought it for $500, um, paid two, uh, I didn't have much saved up at the point. He let me pay $250 at the time, and I could make another payment of $250. So I'm in this car at the moment for $250, and um, I'm, I'm driving home from school, and I got my backpack on the floor of the seat next to me, and uh, I get home, and I pick my bag, and it's all wet. I'm like, why is my bag all wet? Well, it's raining, and the, the, the road's all wet. Well, I come to realize... The floor pan was rusted out completely. The only thing separating the, the passenger from the road was the carpeting. And so the, the water was all going up and, and, and get my bag all wet. And so you would think that I would have said, hang on a second here. Rust is destroying this car. I might want to look into it a little more. Uh, if you're familiar with cars, this was a, a uniframe, I think they call it, where the frame and the body are all built into one. And so it's not like this big solid steel frame. It's kind of this rigid body panels that have frame built into them and whatnot. So if, if the body's rusting, that means my frame is rusting as well. I didn't know all that back then. And, and about a month later, I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, something kind of clicks and, and goes wrong. And I'm like, well, this, this is, it's not driving right. And so I'm like, well, I better turn around and drive it home. So I turn around, I drive it home, and I show it to my stepdad who, who knows cars, and he's looking under it, and he looks at me. He looks back under it, and he looks at me. Looks back under it, and he's like, uh, how, how are you alive, Steve? It was so far rusty, like, there's no way you should have gotten home. This should have just, like, fallen apart on the road and left you just sitting there holding the steering wheel. It was that far rusted. I mean, rust just destroys. It eats up. So this beautiful, awesome buy that I had, uh, fortunately, I didn't have to pay off the other $250, so it was really one of the best buys I ever had, even though it was short-lived, um, was just destroyed by rust. And so he said this audience would have understood, okay, there's things that, that we have, whether it be grain or, or goods that we can sell, and yet they can rot. They can be eaten up by bugs. They can be eaten up by decay. There's a third form of wealth they would have in the, sense of, in the form of gold or, or uh, their coins. They can be taken. Thieves break in and steal. Hey, have you ever been robbed before? Have you ever had anything taken from you? Large or small, it doesn't really matter that the feeling is the same. The, the, the sense of, of just loss where it's like one minute you had it and the next you don't. Whether you have the means to replace it or not, man, that's a whole other conversation. But when, we, when something's taken from you, you realize how temporary all this stuff really is. At, at any moment, something could just change and, and what you used to have could be gone. And that's what Jesus is saying here is all these things that you value as wealth are temporary. It's temporary. You may have them for a long while, you may have them for a short while, but they are all temporary. Here one moment, gone the next, eaten by moth, destroyed by rust, or taken by thieves. But I love that he doesn't leave it there. He says, but God has something better for you. God has something better for us. Don't treasure for yourselves the treasures of this earth because they don't satisfy, they are temporary. But instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. God knows the treasure of this world will not last, and so he makes a way for us to, to make an investment in eternity and have rewards in heaven. And this is something, the more I've kind of looked into this, maybe this will be a series uh, in the future someday, but there's all different times throughout Scripture where we're promised a reward, and uh, very few times really unpacked what that looks like. And so I was trying to think through what are the rewards that, that, that were promised from God? What does that look like? Um, a couple different things. Some we actually get to experience right now, or a piece of them right now. Uh, one of the first rewards 
we receive from God, one of the treasures of God, is an inheritance of an eternity as a child of God. When we trust in Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we begin a relationship with him that lasts for all eternity. In the same way that you'd receive an inheritance as a family member with someone's passing, we trust in Jesus and his work at the cross where he laid down his life as a sacrifice for our sins. We receive an inheritance of life, of eternal life. So one of the rewards we get in Jesus is eternal life. We also have to be a part of the work of God. That one just continues to blow my mind. That God would take us, these, these broken sinners, None of us have it all together. We've all, uh, even those who, who know God and are walking with him, there's still areas of our life that, 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 that we're messing up or that we, we need to submit over to him and, and we need his grace and his mercy to work in and through our lives. We are all a work in progress and yet God says, that's who I want to use. That's who I want to share my message of hope through. That's who I want to tell all those who don't know about me. I want to use them to go and, and tell others that there's really only two kinds of people in this world. There's those who are children of God and those that God desires to become children of God by receiving Jesus. And he chooses to use those who have received him and become children of God. He uses us to go and share that message of hope with those who don't know. That's that's a reward if you ask me. And a bigger reward that it leads to is that in doing the work of God, we get a front row seat, we get the witness when others receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, knowing that not only is our eternity secure because we've trusted in him, but theirs is now as well when they make that decision. To know that we will see them not only uh, tomorrow or Tuesday when we meet for lunch, but we'll see them in eternity. As much as Ed says he hates goodbyes, I know he can do this one because he knows he'll see Ed or he'll see Doug and Jerry again, regardless of what happens, because their eternities are secure in Jesus. What a great reward as we follow after God, as we do his work, to think the people we love could be impacted, that God could work through us to give them an inheritance as well. That's a reward if you ask me. It's also the reward of a life well lived. There's various crowns that are mentioned throughout uh, scripture that received. And I, I don't know if when we are on the other side of eternity, if we'll receive a physical, actual crown, or if it's simply a metaphor, but it's kind of like the, this trophy that we receive. And the significance isn't the trophy, but it's what it represents. That we, we've lived a life that God, God calls us to as best we could. We've trusted in him for all things. Regardless of what the rewards are, eternal rewards from the ultimate creator, our Father in heaven are greater than these temporary ones that do not satisfy. And if they do, it's only for a brief time and then perish. So God says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Store up treasures in heaven. I got something greater for you. In the context of this, when he says treasures, he's talking about wealth. He's talking about our finances. And so the question I want us to answer here, uh, just in, in our own minds, in our own hearts this morning, is where is my money? Is it where I want my heart to be? Where is my money? Is it where I want my heart to be? Or has my heart wandered in that? Is my money going towards what I want to be passionate about? As we said earlier, one way to grow passion is to put your money there. If you want to care more about global poverty, put your money there. That's something that we as a church have recognized, that we talk about uh, seeing the gospel go forward out in our, our uh, local town, out in our region, and then out in the, the, to the world. And we acknowledge that, hey, we haven't really been doing much on the global scale. We're trying to remedy that. Uh, 
If you've been to Meadowland before, you probably received a letter in the mail already asking for any contacts that you may have. As we go to see where is God leading us out into the global communities, we want to know what, what contacts do we already have in this church. We've already received a few, and we just want to put all those uh, before the elder team and say, hey, where is God leading us? And pray over those. And where can we begin this process? As a church, we want to say the global mission matters to us, and so we're going to put some funds to that. We're going to put some energy to that, and our heart will be there because that's where we're going to put our treasure. If you want to care more about your community, invest your money there. Find ways to pour into your community, whether on a grand scale or just by caring for your neighbor as they have need. If you want to care more about the mission of God that he is enacting out through his church, put your money there. Give your money there. And the question here isn't a matter of how much. The question here is of where your heart is. Maybe you've heard the old adage, if you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, he'll buy a boat, a motor, three fishing rods, some new tackle, trolling motor. When you put your money there, your, your passion will follow. Your passion will follow. And we've got to be cautious here. The heart wanders. It's so let us use our treasure of money to anchor it where you want it to be. As we're thinking about this question, where's my money? Is it where I want it to be? Because the heart wanders, let us use our treasure of money to anchor the heart where we want it to be. So if you feel your heart wandering, figure out, okay, here's where I want to be. Use that treasure you have of money to anchor it where you want it to be. Let's keep going. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, so is your, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In the passage that we're going to read after this one, Jesus comes back to this concept of money. You may say, well, is this kind of out of place? You know, he's talking about money before, and now he's talking about finances in a little bit, but he's just one line here about the eye and the lamp. What's he talking about? Is this even about finances? And actually, as we unpack it a little bit, we'll see, yeah, it does have this heart of uh, generosity and finances that he's talking about here. And it's found in this phrase of a healthy eye versus a bad eye. Uh, depending on which translation you're reading out of, uh, this could also be re re uh, read as uh, having, being, having a single eye or having an evil eye. And one way to understand what this is, we can look at Matthew 20. We see a parable of a vineyard master and laborers. Basically, what this master does is he hires someone to work in his vineyard for the day. And then three hours later, into the day, he hires some more people to come work. Three hours later, he hires some more people. Three hours later, he hires some more people. And then the 11th hour or 12-hour day, he hires even more people to come and work his vineyard. So some have worked only an hour. Others have worked the whole day. And others, all, all these different steps within there. And when it comes time to pay the, the, the workers for their day, the guy who's worked an hour, that those guys come before, and he pays them a full day's wage. All of a sudden, those who've worked a full day or even half a day are like, wow, if he's paying those guys that much, I can't wait to see what I get. And it goes down the line, and everyone basically gets a full day's wage. And those who've worked a full day all of a sudden get upset about this, and then the master's like, well, no, I, I promised you a full day's wage for your work, right? That's what you've received. Why, why, why are you upset about this? And it kind of comes to this point here in Matthew 20, verse 15. This is the, the master speaking in the parable. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? And if you look at the footnotes there, you see that this line, or do you begrudge my generosity, uh, they're trying to translate in a way that we understand it today, but a better way to phrase that in the original context would be to say, or 
Is your eye bad because I am good? Is your eye bad? Do you have an evil eye because I am good? Again, you can get this concept of this single eye. What it's talking about here is the bad eye is one that doesn't value the master's mercy or grace over the value of their wages. Whereas the good eye sees the generosity and sees that as the greater value. So if you have a good, a healthy eye, if you have a single eye, you see the value of generosity. You'd be full of light, Jesus says. Light reveals truth. It sees reality as it is because it's exposed to the light. Basically saying your attention will turn to others with this heart of asking, do they have enough? Do they have enough? Hey, did everybody get their day's wage? You have a heart for others. But if you have this bad eye, this evil eye, you're, you're focused on self and you can't celebrate the mercy and generosity that you're witnessing before you. Jesus says you'll be full of darkness. Darkness hides and it deceives, keeps us from being able to discern truth because we can't see what's before us. And in that kind of situation, the attention stays on ourselves and we ask, well, why did they get that? Why, why did they get that, that huge gift uh, you know, of a full day's wage for an hour? I, I want something like that. Well, you get that. You got a day's wage too. And the point of the, the, the parable was saying that whether you, no matter when you receive Jesus, that we all receive the full inheritance of life and eternity with God in heaven. We also see this beautiful picture of grace and mercy, and do we understand that when we see that in others, and do we celebrate that? There's a phrase by comedian Louis C.K. I don't know the name of the show, but he's actually talking to um, a little girl here who's playing the role of his daughter, and he says this, the only time you look in your neighbor's bowl is to make sure they have enough. The only time you look in your neighbor's bowl is to make sure you, they have enough. If we have a bad eye, we're looking at our neighbor's bowl to see, did we get enough? Can, you know, we should get more. It's not fair if they get more than us. But if we have a good eye, a healthy eye, we're looking at our neighbor's bowl to make sure, hey, did they get enough? Are, are their needs met too? Addition, we look at this concept of, of uh, the eye and the lamp being the lamp of the body. See, where the eye looks, the rest tends to follow, right? F finish these phrases for me. Keep your eye on the ball. Aim small, miss small. Okay, I got some shooters out there. Aim small, miss small. Both of those, keep your eye on the ball. They say, okay, where the eye goes, the rest is, is going to follow, right? If you've ever played any kind of sport where you have to throw the ball around, or if you know, imagine football where you're defending a receiver, if you ever watch in, in a game where all of a sudden the defenders, you know, focus on the receiver, and then out of the blue, they'll put their hand up and block the, the incoming ball without ever looking at it. How can they do that? They're watching the eyes of the receiver. And all of a sudden, they see the receiver's eyes are following that ball, and they know it's coming, and they can put a hand up to block it without ever turning around to see the ball themselves because they're watching the attention of the one that they're defending. So a concept of aim small, miss small is look precisely where you want to shoot. See, that the greatest way to know if someone is giving you their attention is what? It's eye contact, right? It's eye contact. That's one of the greatest ways you can know. If I'm trying to get my kids' attention, and they're still staring at something else, I know I don't have their attention yet. So the question we can ask ourselves here is, where is my attention? If we view our attention as one of our treasures, is it where I want my heart to be? Where is my attention? Is it where I want my heart to be? <coughs> Questions we can ask of ourselves, when I wake or lie in bed, what is on my mind? When I dream, when I think and ponder of what the future could look like, 
What has long-term residence in my mind? What are the things that I think about? Do I think about how God is, is working in this community and, in, and through me and in my friends' lives and neighbors' lives and coworkers' lives? Or am I trying to figure out what I want to wear tomorrow? Again, some time has to go towards that. But does that have the majority of our focus? Think about the different things that, that are on your mind that get your attention. I mean, sometimes we, we have enemies of our focus. We say, I want to have my attention on God, but there's two big enemies that I want to highlight real quick here. One is unresolved conflict, lack of forgiveness. If there's someone in your life that you are in conflict with and, and that there hasn't been forgiveness extended or, or offered, that that can just really take up residence in our mind, can it? If that's you, I would encourage you to address that, to deal with that, to acknowledge that, that we've been forgiven much by God and use that as an as a encouragement to go and offer forgiveness to those you need to offer forgiveness to. Or if you've been hurt by someone else. Again, remember, this is in God's hands. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I think another huge enemy of focus is anxiety and worry. Right? Like just take up residence and live in our mind free of charge. If that's you, I encourage you to come back next week. The next chunk of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is going to address is going to deal with just this, with the issue of anxiety and worry. But the question we have to say is here, if the, if the heart wanders, so the question is, where's my attention? But then if the heart wanders, lead it by turning your attention to the eternal things of God. Lead your heart to where you want to be by turning your attention to the things of God. So let's finish up here this section of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. If you're at a job with multiple bosses, so you have your direct report and then their direct report, they'll come down and tell you what to do. You ever had a situation where they both tell you to do something different and there's no way you can do the one with the other? It's, 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 they're almost in, in like, they, they compete. And, and whatever you do, one boss is going to be upset with you. you. You can't serve two bosses. You can't serve two masters. And then Jesus takes it a step further and says, you, you can't serve God and money, knowing that that, that that can be one of the masters in our lives. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16, we read a parable here that Jesus shares. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Again, the, the issue isn't in the having things, but it's in the not being rich towards God. It's when we treasure the things of this world more than we treasure God. All too often we get caught up looking at others and we say, hey, if I had what they had, then everything would be okay. If I just had a little bit more, I'd be okay. But we don't see so many times is that oftentimes with more comes more problems. You know, what doesn't really unpack here is this guy said, I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger ones. Well, to talk about then all of a sudden the EPA gets in there and says, well, actually, you can't build a barn there. Well, I just tore one down. Well, yeah, but that, you know, you can tear it down, but you can't put a new one up because of all these new laws we passed. Okay, well, I'll put it over here. Well, now utilities company come out. Well, no, no, there's an easement there. You can't build that there. 
Well, fine. Can I build it here? Okay, yeah, go, go ahead and build it there. And you start building your, your, your three-story, oh, no, no, you can't go over two-story. You know? It doesn't go into all these problems that he maybe would have had in building these barns anyway. But we think if I had all that, then my problems would be solved, and it's just not true. It's just not true. Often with more comes more problems. But the question we need to ask is, what does it look like to serve our master? If we're going to serve our master and not be a servant to it, not be a servant to, to money or other things, we want to serve our master of God, it's, it's what we give our time to. It's where we give our treasure of our time. See, in today's context, um, it used to be, if you want to know where someone's heart was, you look at their checkbook, and, and the, where their, their money goes, that's really where their heart truly is. I think, honestly, where we live in this day and age, I think right now our time is valued more than our finances. I think people are more willing to say, well, I'll, I'll give money to that because I, I don't want to give my time. I, you know, my time is so valuable. I can just put some money towards it and feel good about that. And It's my time that has the greatest value. It's my time that's my greatest treasure. So again, the question we need to ask is, is where is my time? Is my time where I want my heart to be? Is my time where I want my heart to be? Think about your various blocks of time. Time with family, time at work, time at school, time to yourself, whether you're invested in hobbies and different things like that. Time on vacation, time of rest, time of training and learning and growing. What are you giving your time to? You know, what's interesting is a lot of things that we listen to, we think about what our schedule looks like, there's certain things we need to do each and every day. There's going to be meals in there, there's going to be times of getting ready for the day and winding down from the day, and there's different things we have to do. But the heart behind why we do them and how we do them is where there can be some big changes. Like a lot of that comes from how we prioritize it and where is our heart? Are we giving first and foremost to God? And then to our spouse, for those who are married, and then to our kids and our families, and then to, I think, everything else kind of falls after that. Where are we giving our time? The heart wanders. Because the heart wanders, let's humble it by surrendering our time to God's will. I know we're kind of zipping through these here. But as we think about our money, our attention, and our time, as we think about the treasures that we have, my prayer for us is that we would have a heart that follows God in response to what he's done. He is a God who has already given in amazing ways when he gave his son on the cross so that we could have life in him. If you've never heard the good news of Jesus, let me explain it to you real quick. Because of the decisions we've made in our lives, there's ways in which we've gone against the heart of God, and that separates us from him. That causes a, a strife between us and him. A holy and perfect God and a sinful people. We're divided because of our sin, because of the ways we've messed up, small or large. Whether you think you have a lot of it going on, like, oh, I've only done a few little things here that, that I think would, would categorize a sin, or if you're like, you know what, I'm a mess, you know, everything I do, it just, I'm, I'm, wherever you fall in there, much or little, it separates us from God. We're, we're all in that same boat. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans would teach us. So the good news of Jesus is that God has given us a way because the payment for sin in Scripture we see is the shedding of blood. And that's why you had sacrifices in the Old Testament. These, these spotless animals would be killed and sacrificed as a payment for the sins of the people. But that was insufficient. That didn't cover the sins of all time. But Jesus was sufficient to do that. So Jesus came as both fully man and both fully God. He lived a life of absolute perfection, never sinning. Because he was God, he was able to do that. So that when he laid down his life on the cross, when he gave it up, he didn't deserve death. But he gave it up so that when we trust in him, when we say, Jesus, I believe you are God, 
and I believe your death on the cross pays for my sins. It does just that. That his death takes our place. It stands as a substitute for us so that when we trust in Jesus, we now see the righteous, righteousness of God. Or we, we now bear the righteousness of God. So when God the Father looks at us, for those who trust in Jesus, he doesn't see our sin that separates us from him. He doesn't see all that, but he sees the very righteousness of God. That's how Scripture can call us saints as followers of God. You ever wondered that? Hey, I'm still screwing up my life. I'm, I'm trying to follow Jesus as best as I can, but I'm still making mistakes. How can Scripture call me a saint? It's because of who Jesus makes us. It's because of who Jesus makes us. So because God has given so greatly, let us orientate our heart towards his. And if you want your heart to be about the things of God, then put your mat there. Put your money there. Put your attention there. Put your time there, and the heart will follow. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We love you so much. We thank you for what you've done. Uh, for those of us here this morning who have, who have experienced that grace and that love and that forgiveness in Jesus, we come to you thanking you for that, Father God. We thank you for how you work in our lives. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to bring our heart to the things of you first and foremost, that we could anchor our heart there with our money, that we could lead our heart to the things of you by what we put our attention towards, that we could humble our hearts by giving of our time to the things that, that you would want us to give our time to. Help us to engage you in those ways, Father God. For those who don't know you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, that we would know more and more each day who you are and what you're like, that we would see in Scripture, in conversation with others, in community here at Meadowland, that we would see that you are God, and that we would take that step to trust in you as Lord and Savior by simply confessing our position before you as sinners and receiving the gift of life, the gift of grace, the gift of forgiveness that you offer us. We thank you for the work that you do, God. We thank you that you modeled this by first giving to us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave his life for us. Let us orientate our heart towards you, God, by putting our treasure there. In your name, amen.